Awesome. Thank you, Dom, and thank you, worship team. You guys are absolutely amazing. Uh, for those of you, yeah, that's awesome. For those of you that actually don't know, um, Dom and I actually came from the same city, same town in the Bay Area. We were both serving for a couple years together, not together, but in the same area, which is kind of funny that we both ended up down here in Encinitas at this amazing church. And today's actually kind of a special day for me. I said this in the first service, but today actually marks five months to the day that I arrived in Encinitas. I left June 3rd. Today's November 3rd. And here's what I can tell you in five months being here. I love this church. This church is filled with some of the most loving, amazing people. And I honestly can say this. In my 12 years being a high school pastor, I firmly believe that this is one of the best staffs that I've ever got to be a part of. They, they just love Jesus and they love each other and we encourage each other. And it's so much fun to be a part of this staff and this church. So if you're new here, Welcome. This is a great place to be. I'm glad you're with us. If this has been your home church for a long time, you did well. You guys chose well. Um, and I did this in the first service, and I, I'd like to do it here. I don't know if any of them are in here, but man, one of the greatest things in youth ministry is our volunteers. And almost all of them were in here first service, but if, if you're in here and you help me out, um, I, I know Brent Guy's back here. He helps me out a lot. Um, but if you're in here and you help out in youth ministry in any capacity from a volunteer to help me with cooking or anything like that, could you just stand up? I know all the Santa's are back there. They definitely help out a lot, but just stand up because I believe you guys need to be recognized um, without people like this. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it's awesome. Junior high workers. Ministry just can't be done, and so I am very, very grateful and thankful for all these families and these parents and all of our staff. They get together to make the best thing happen, and I wish you guys could have seen Wednesday night here, Nathan and I, he's over there in the hat over there, you've seen him up here. We threw a really cool thing called Huluween on Wednesday night, and over 100 plus students showed up here on our campus, and it was a ton of fun, uh, but the one thing that was cool, we had a 100 foot, not a 100 foot, that'd be way too big, we had a 21 foot slide right over in this corner that came out into this section. So I kid you not, the top of the slide was literally touching the ceiling, which was really fun. We had students going down that all night. But the best thing about that night was around eight to 10 students raised their hands to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior um, through that event, through that gospel message, because that's what it's all about. I always say, I want students to show up and I want them to have a good time, but more than anything, I want them to fall in love with Jesus. I want students to experience Jesus when they set foot on this campus. It was cool. Let me pray. Before we get started, God, thank you so much for being an amazing God. We are so grateful for your love. We are grateful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to the cross uh, to be the atonement for our sin. God, we rightfully deserve separation. God, I deserve hell. God, but you, you bridged that gap for me. And it's so great to have you as my Lord and Savior, God, um, that one day I get to spend eternity in heaven with you, God. So I just, I pray, God, that today you would speak through me, God, that you would fill me up with your spirit, Lord, and that this would just be a fun message about what it looks like to get out of these walls, God, to get out of our comfort zones, to get out into our community of Encinitas, God, and live life on missions and share the gospel with people so that more people will experience life in you. God, we love you. And I'm going to pray. Amen. If you guys have been with us for the last few weeks, even probably a couple months, Ryan kicked off this series in 1 Corinthians. It's been really, really good. And as Paul writing back, uh, to the Corinthian church, they had a lot of questions and a lot of stuff was going on in the Corinthian church. A lot of stuff had crept in from the culture into the church, and when we kicked it off, we knew that some sexual immorality was, was going on in there. People were getting drunk in the church. People were really abusing God's grace. Um, and so it was one of those things where everybody started having these questions, and Paul starts writing back and answering the questions that they had. And this is the series we're in, and last week, Pastor Dale kicked it off with chapter 8, which is really good about those gray areas of life. 
And how it's really easy sometimes for us as Christians to look at each other and you can judge each other for some of those gray areas. But at the same time, we have to be very cautious about those gray areas and how we use our freedom. And today we're kicking off uh, chapter 9, and I labeled this one uh, called Whatever It Takes. And I've said this to my high school group more than once, but as long as I have breath in my lungs, I want to do whatever it takes to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that as long as I have breath in my lungs, that I I have this care and this concern for the lost and the broken in our community, I want to make sure that I live my life on a mission daily. I don't want to think that just showing up to church and showing up to my life group is it. There's so much more to that in this adventure that we have with Jesus. It's getting outside of these walls and getting out there and just sharing Jesus with people in our community. And in my life group, we're going over this thing called the gospel primer. And if you're not plugged into a life group, I really want to encourage you uh, to get plugged into a life group. If you're not plugged in, you can write this down today, this morning. It's go to respond.church and then click on join a group. And I said this at first service too, but my prayer will be that every single person in our church is plugged into a group. I can't even tell you the difference it's made in my life being plugged into a life group. It is so fun to show up on Sunday nights and be loved by a group of people. And it, they're amazing. I absolutely love them. They literally filled up these front rows in first service. And they, they've changed my life for the better. But in our life group, we're going over this thing called the Gospel Primer, which is an eight-week guide to transformation in community. And there was this little piece that uh, I started to read. Uh, my leader handed it out. And right away, I opened it and I started to read, even though he was talking. I sh- should have been listening to Bill. Um, but I actually, so I opened this thing up and I started reading. And it caught my attention almost immediately. And I remember as I began to read, I go, man, has this ever been me in the church? In all these years growing up in the church from a little kid until now, has this ever been me? Showing up to worship services that to me just sometimes felt empty, showing up to life groups all the time, but yet really not living my life fully for Jesus. And I'm not just, what I mean by that is just not really living my life on mission. And so this little section caught my eye and I, and I got back to work the next morning. I read it again. And I thought, man, this is such a great opener to share with you guys this morning. And here's what it says. If we're honest, most of us see very little change in our inner life or in our character. We continue to struggle with lust of the flesh, with denying worldly temptations and concerns. We fight depression, fatigue, failed relationships with our kids and others. We are bound up in all sorts of anxieties and vices. And at the end of each day, we turn off the lights wondering if anything is changing us at the level of the soul. As well, and as expected... We look upon God's mission as something only a few will get in on. We know we are Christ's ambassadors, his priests, and we understand that the church is supposed to be his missionaries in the world. But we just keep showing up to nebulous worship gatherings, empty Bible studies, or pathetic small groups. Isn't there more? I thought we were supposed to be new creations. What happened? Having spent years pastoring people, who are asking these same questions and feeling the same ineffectiveness of applying the more spiritual disciplines, I began to wonder how the apostles Paul and Peter and the other disciples managed to live such transformed lives. Lives that were not only personally transformed, but that also changed the world. Don't get me wrong, I'm in favor of and have found great benefit in many of the more traditional forms of spiritual discipline. Time in the word each day, prayer, keeping a a journal, prayer walking, and much more. But those disciplines can easily leave you staring at your Harley instead of actually riding it. Starting with Jesus and his early disciples, people who have changed the world found a beautiful connection between spiritual disciplines and the vibrant life of God's spirit-led mission. They understood the real gospel. 
I absolutely love that. I've read it more than once. And I read this and I go, God, I want to experience that real gospel. I want to make sure that I'm getting in on this spirit-led mission. That there's more to church than just showing up here on Sunday mornings that we as Seacoast, we get to go out there and make a difference in Encinitas, in our community. And there's people that are broken and hurting out there that are in need of the good news. And I shared this first service too. But the thing I loved about when I applied for this job, Ryan put in the job description, Encinitas is a very beautiful place, but it's a place that is in need of the good news. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you. What are you going to do about it? If you're taking notes, I actually want you to write that down. What will I do about it? What will I do about the people out there in our community who need to hear the good news? And here's the thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down too. The gospel needs to happen to you before it happens through you. The gospel needs to happen to you before it happens through you. And like I say, my aim for you this morning is for you to walk out of here challenged. Maybe you're to ask yourself, am I living my life on mission? Am I one of those people who have been just showing up on Sunday mornings, filling a seat, showing up to a small group, doing life, singing worship songs, but then walking out of here and not fully living my life on mission? And I also want you to begin to think about the things that keep you from going out there and sharing the good news with people. Because for all of us, there's a few things that will keep us from sharing the gospel with other people. So I want, to walk, I want you guys to walk out of here challenged. I want you guys to walk out of here changed, equipped. I just want you to walk out of here going, man, I want to get in on this. I want to make a difference out there. Because if I'm being real with you guys, Seacoast Mini Church, we are just a building. The building is just a building. Seacoast Mini Church is the people. And God is saying, you who fill these chairs each and every Sunday, I want to use you to go make a difference out there. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, we're jumping right into chapter, or verse 1. Here's what it says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. Because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? You know, if you've been here the last few weeks, I don't want to pretend like everybody that just comes here every Sunday is actually going to know everything about the Bible. And these last few weeks, as we've been talking about all these things that are happening in 1 Corinthians, some of the questions that I had, or I would have had, was who is this guy? Who is this, this apostle Paul that we're talking about? He opens it up saying, am I not an apostle? An apostle actually means one sent under commission. And if you actually turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, I believe it is, uh, verses 19 through 20, I want you guys to see this little piece because when I begin to look at this, this little piece of scripture, and as we're, we're gaining insight into 1 Corinthians, there's so many questions that I go, before Paul did this, who was this guy? Who is this guy that has a passion for the church? Who is this guy that has a passion for the lost and for the broken? Because he had a passion to lead as many people to Jesus as he could. And here's what it says in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. And so these apostles and the New Testament prophets, they had this really 
amazing gift, and it was to, we are going to go build up the church. But when I look at this, I go, before all this happened, Paul had to be somebody. What happened in his life that gave him this passion for the church? If you're not familiar with the story, he actually didn't have the name Paul at first. His name was Saul. And I want to take you guys back to his transformation experience because, like I say, before uh, the gospel can happen through you, it needs to happen to you. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we get to see exactly the transformation experience that happened through Paul. And here's what it says. Now Saul, that was his name at the time. Now Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, the way meaning Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He wasn't able to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Man, I honestly love this story about about Paul and this transformation experience, and I've heard it many, many times. But I absolutely love it because he was this guy who was traveling— And he had no intention of Jesus to invade his life. He was actually going to persecute Christians. He was actually going to stop the advancement of the gospel. And on the way there, he has this encounter with Jesus. And it's amazing because in this moment, Jesus turned his life upside down. And he was no longer going to be this guy who was going to go persecute Christians. He was going to be this guy who was going to build up the church. He was going to be this guy who lived his life on mission. And I want you guys to just think back real quick to that moment where your life was completely transformed. The moment that you gave your life to Jesus. The moment that you surrendered your life to Christ and you said, I am all in. For some of you guys, it was when you were just little kids in church. Somebody, it was your mom, maybe a a Sunday school teacher, led you into this prayer where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and it became super real to you. For those of you in here, it may have happened when you were just a teenager. And you're at camp or you're going to youth group and all of a sudden the gospel becomes so real to you that there's this transformation that is happening inside of you. And God is changing your heart and he's giving you a passion for the lost and for the broken. For some of you, it's happening in your adult years. And some of you guys in here, maybe you just haven't even accepted Jesus Christ as your savior yet. And I want to tell you, man, if that's you today and you have any questions, if you want to know what it's like to be all in with Jesus, come find me after. I would love to talk with you about Jesus. I know Pastor Ryanwood, Dale, Nathan, any of our staff, uh, but we'd love to talk with you about Jesus. But for me, It happened when I was almost 17 years old. And it was one of those moments I didn't expect. The only thing I knew about my life at the time, I grew up in the church. I knew it was right. I knew it was wrong. Um, I grew up going to Awana. I was involved in all these Bible, Bible school lessons. But my life really began to fall apart around junior high. And by high school is when my life had really fallen apart. And I realized that I was in this deep need honestly, for Jesus, deep need for a savior. I had filled up my life with so much sin, thinking I was gonna live this life that was great, only to find myself really at the end of myself. And I share this first service, this is something I share a lot, but I actually had reached that point of suicide. Here I was at 16 years old where I began to think, if this is all there is to life, then I actually don't really want to live it anymore. You know, if this is what life is going to be like day in, day out, the rest of my high school career, 
just partying and having fun and then going to college and my plan was to join a fraternity and just have all this fun, I literally began to think, I would rather just tap out. And here comes Jesus. I'm at church camp. And I go there. I was not expecting Jesus to invade my life at all. And by day three, here's Jesus. I began to fill out my little booklet. And I literally broke down. And I go back to my cabin that that night. And I'm this guy who doesn't cry very often. Still to this day, I don't cry very often. But I literally broke down in my cabin in front of all the other guys in my cabin. In front of my counselor, I said, man, I've tried so hard to fill my life up with all my own desires, to live life in the flesh, and it's literally brought me to the end of myself. I said, I need right here now a fresh start. I need to rededicate my life to Jesus. I need to go all in with Jesus and give my life to him. And my life was forever changed. I kind of felt like the Apostle Paul at that moment where my life, I felt, was just turned upside down forever. And now I have this deep passion to share Jesus with people. I have a deep passion for high school students because I know what it was like for me as a high schooler who was struggling. And I want high school students to know Jesus and understand Jesus and to have this transformation experience going on inside of him. And those last two years of high school for me, I got to go back and live my life out of mission. God completely changed my life. In those last two years, I got to tell so many of my friends about Jesus. And to this day, I still have friends that will write me and say, what was it about faith? What was it about you that changed? And it's fun now being 36 years old, getting these letters written to me or these emails, and I'm going, hey, you know, it's Jesus. That's what changed my life. And now that they're in the 30s, they're starting to figure it out. They're going, man, I think I want to get in the church. We're raising families, and I want my kids to understand this. And I go, man, God, thank you for changing my life, and thank you that I got to live my last two years in high school on mission, caring for my lost, for my broken, and for my hurting friends who didn't know you who are now reaching out to me. And one thing I love about this series is I, I look at the Corinthian church and I look at Paul and I go, man, if God can use a guy like Paul to reach a city like Corinth and to build up a church in Corinth, then God can use me and he can use you right here in Encinitas. And to be honest with you, Encinitas is not the easiest place probably go out and share the gospel. If you guys know a lot about Encinitas, it's just kind of known as a spiritual city. But here's the thing. If you actually break down Corinth, here's what Corinth was like a little bit. Man, it's a despicable, despicable place. There were cults. There were statues. There was a lot of religious variety going on. Uh, traditional worship to gods and goddesses from Greek and Roman cultures. And here's the thing. So it's pretty safe to sum it up like this. It was really a pleasure and corrupt city. Yet God used this guy named Paul to go build up his church and to change and transform his hearts and the lives of so many people in the city of Corinth, which means this, our city is not beyond reach. That means, what are we going to do about it? For us sitting in these seats now, what will we do to go reach the people in our community? Because if God can use a guy like Paul, then God can use a church like Seacoast to go transform the hearts and the lives of people here in Encinitas. And I know most of us probably haven't had this personal experience we actually saw Jesus but we had this personal transformation that happened inside of us. And knowing the role that Paul played in the church in Corinth and what he was doing, how God was using him, here's my question for you this morning. Here's what I want you to write down if you haven't written it down yet. What role do you play here in Encinitas? What role do you play here in Encinitas? Is God giving you a deep passion for the lost, for the broken, and the hurting? I want to be a person who makes a difference in this city. And here's the thing, by no mistake are you living in the neighborhood that you're living in. God has you there for a reason. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you gotten to know your neighbors? 
Do you know who they are and are you making a difference in your lives? For the beaches you frequent, for the places you surf, to the coffee shops that you find yourself going to very regularly, are you making a difference in the lives of people on a daily basis? So here's what I wrote. What is God calling you to? And how are you going to make a difference in Encinitas? Because we have this amazing responsibility and a calling to win people to Jesus. And Paul gives us some pretty clear direction back in 1 Corinthians. So you want to jump back in real quick. 1 Corinthians. We're jumping ahead here a little bit. We're going to be in verse 19. Chapter 9, verse 19. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became the weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may be, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in his blessing. It's so interesting when you read this. The first time I actually read this out loud to one of my staff members, I love Devin Herman. She's probably one of my favorite people on staff. The way she just laughs and the way she giggles is just so funny. But I read this out loud and she literally, she literally looked at me and she's like, man, I'm not even sure what that's saying. And I was like, you know, it's, you're, you're not wrong. This actually can be, like, honestly, a pretty confusing scripture. And sometimes when things like we don't understand it or it seems pretty confusing, we just kind of brush over it. You're like, "Uh, I'm not quite sure what it's saying, so I'm just going to jump down and and keep moving on. But there's some really good stuff in this little piece of scripture right here. And it's kind of funny uh, because when you actually read this, it looks like Paul, like some things he's saying, you're like, what exactly are you getting at? Because you keep saying you're like all things to all people. So it actually sounds like this guy changes his message to all these different people groups. But that's not the case. His message and his mission remain the same. So let me break this down to you, how this, how this really went. He was this guy who never compromised the gospel. He was a guy who never compromised his character, who never, who never compromised himself. He was this guy who knew that when he was around different people groups, he was just going to have to adapt to the way he was going to share it. So by no means was he ever compromising the gospel. By no means was he ever compromising himself. He just saying, hey, when I'm with certain people, I'm going to have to adapt to the way I'm going to share the gospel. And if you were here last week, uh, when Pastor Dale taught on chapter 8, he jumped ahead and he hit on a section briefly. Uh, what This section we're in, it was all about knowing who Paul was with. He had to know who he was with and how he would adapt to the different people. Same message, same mission, just adapting to different people. And when I was in college, um, Dr. Martin taught my Bible study methods class. And he said, man, when you're reading scripture, make sure you slow down a little bit. Sometimes you got to look for key words. Sometimes you got to look for the meaning in it. Sometimes you got to back up a, a whole chapter. Sometimes you got to move ahead a full chapter to figure out what's actually going on. And this, like I say, this gets a little confusing because here's how it starts off in chapter, in verse 19. He says this, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. So here's a question I had right off the bat. There were three questions that I kind of began to ponder as I began to read the scripture. Is this testimony that Paul is writing, is this something that we should imitate? 
Is this something that was for us, or is this just something that was for the apostles? Is this something for the New Testament prophets? Was this just something that missionaries do when they go overseas to adapt their message? And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11. So you need to jump ahead just one chapter. Chapter 10, 31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me, as I also imitate Christ." So no, this just wasn't something that the apostles did. This wasn't just something that he did like on his own saying, this is me, you can go do your own thing. He's saying, no, imitate me. Don't be afraid to get out there and share the gospel. You might have to adapt it a little bit to the different people groups, but learn from me. You guys are going to be out in this community and you're going to be with a group of surfers and the way you're going to be able to communicate with them is going to look a little different than the way you're going to be able to communicate with some of the people you work with. And so he's saying, hey, just, just adapt a little bit, but follow, follow this thing that I have for you guys. And the next question is this, what exactly is Paul's aim here? What exactly is Paul's aim in all this? It sounds so confusing to me. I want to reread this to you. And I want you to listen to this one word. Every time I read it, the word when. It's repeated five times in this short little piece of scripture. Here's what it says. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. To win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Man, I honestly love that because I'm able to read that and go, his aim in all of this is to win people to the gospel. And he's winning them to what? That's the next thing you might want to ask yourself. What exactly are we winning these people to? What exactly are we saving them from? And I wanted you guys just a quick, real quick turn to Romans. Romans 5, 9. Because here's where we get our answer of what we're saving them from. If we are to win people to the gospel, here's what we're saving them from, and this is really important. How much more then, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will be saved through him from wrath? Man, I read that, I go, we're, we're being saved from separation from God. We come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We are being saved, literally, from his wrath. And that should change everything. I want that to change who I am. I want to be able to look at the people out in our community events in Edison and go, man, there are so many people out here who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And what am I going to do about it? Do I care that people out there are perishing? Do I care that they don't know Jesus? Man, I honestly hope that I have this deep care and compassion like Paul did to go reach people for the gospel. They will never be ashamed of it. That I want to walk out of here and go, man, Jesus, I want to be this guy. This high school pastor, this 36-year-old guy who lives life on mission so that the kingdom of heaven is expanded because I want to get out there and live life on mission. My first youth group that I ever got to be a part of 12 years ago, uh, I came from a youth group of about 100 when I was interning and I, I came to this church and there were 17 students in this youth group. And I remember showing up on the scene going, whoa, 
Like, I'm not even sure what to do with 17 students. But I began to pray for those students. And those students honestly loved Jesus. And they had this deep passion for Jesus. They loved our church. They loved our youth group. And before I knew it, they were going back into their high schools living life on mission. They were inviting their friends into church. They were telling their friends about the gospel. And before I knew it, we had over 90 students coming to our church. And I remember just, when they were flooding through, I was just going, God, I don't know what's going to happen through all this, but I pray some seeds are planted, but I pray that students are going to come to know who you are because these students live life on mission. And I kid you not, it was almost like week after week, we got to see students coming to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And I loved it because they live life on mission. They recognized the gifts that they had. If they were football players, they were trying to reach the football players. If they were cross-country, they were trying to reach cross-country. At one point in time, we had the entire guys' water polo team come and do our youth group. It was really cool. I'm not even kidding. And they literally all show up in all their swim gear. They had practice and then would show up. And my senior pastor goes, dude, start buying dinner for them. Buy dinner for them so they can show up and we can actually just feed them. And so we were feeding, we ended up like feeding our entire youth group at one point. They gave me a budget to just feed everybody. And we had all these students coming. We'd have dinner together before youth group would start. It was super fun to watch all these students just come to know Jesus. But the one thing I loved was it started with those 17. Those 17 faithful students who chose to live life on mission and care about their lost friends. And one of the things in order to reach people here in Encinitas, you're going to have to know our area just a little bit. We're in a very, an area that has a lot of affluence in it. And so oftentimes you're going to get people that might look at you and go, why on earth would I need a savior? I got this nice house. I got a nice car. I got great kids. Everything in my life seems so perfect. So why on earth would I ever need to go to church? Why on earth would I ever need to give myself away to something like Jesus? And along the way, you guys are going to hit some roadblocks. And I, I told you this before, but so often there's reasons why many of us don't get out there and live life on mission. For some of you that are in here, maybe you're just still in this journey. Maybe you're broken and you're hurting. You're showing up to church every single Sunday and you're going, I'm not sure what else I have to give out here. And so you haven't been living your life on mission. You're still trying to figure it out yourself. Some of you are living a little bit in fear. You're going, man, I don't know. I don't want to get rejected. I'm not sure what people are going to think of me. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to really get out in our community and share the gospel. That's kind of a roadblock for you. For some of you, you look at this and you go, man, I didn't go to Bible school. I don't know a lot about the Bible. I'm not sure if I had a conversation with someone if I could actually lead them. And here's what I want to tell you. God wants to use you. And the biggest one I found this in my life to be the most truth is busyness. One of the roadblocks why I don't share the gospel enough is simply busyness. We get in these routines in our lives where we don't actually don't want to be interrupted. It's like we go to the one thing to the next to the next and we don't ever want to slow down and let God interrupt our day to share Jesus with someone who may be in that spot like specifically for us to share Jesus with that person. Maybe they needed us right then and there in that moment. And I found that out September 6th, just this last year. Um, and it was when I went back up to Danville for my 36th birthday. I celebrated my birthday here with some Seacoast people. Then I flew back up to Danville to hang out with some families. And I got there that night and I was so hungry. And so I went to one of my favorite restaurants and I go in there and I have friends in there and there's some other friends that were around us. And my friends introduced me to this other group of people and they said, hey, this is Brandon. He's a former pastor here in Danville. And this guy looks at me and he goes, so you're a pastor? I said, yeah, man, I was here in Danville for almost four years and now I'm down in Encinitas. And I kid you not, it's like he just froze and he's like, and he goes, my business partner lives in Encinitas. 
which is super crazy. And this guy began to share his life with me, and I kid you not, the first 10 minutes, I was super irritated. I'm like, I, I came here to eat dinner and hang out with friends, and this guy wants to start like talking about church and the gospel. And I'm, I'm serious. And what he said to me was, man, I have made millions and millions and millions of dollars, and I am still unhappy. And so he goes, hey, can we just go outside for a second? And I was like, oh my gosh, no, like, I don't want to go outside. Like, like I'm, I'm, all I want to do is hang out with my friends. But I, I had to pause in that moment and go, this man needs the gospel. And so we go, actually in this little back alleyway out behind the, behind the restaurant, and I kid you not, for 45 minutes we talked. We got to talk about faith, how God changed my life. We got to talk about the gospel. And he goes, what's crazy about my business partner? He's a Christian down in Encinitas, and he's been sharing the gospel with me. And I, so I had to sit there and go, God, there is no mistake that I was here at the same, this right time to meet this guy who needed to hear the gospel. And here I had to just slow up my time to just share Jesus with him. And it was super funny because he got his business apart on their phone at one point in time. And this guy's name is Kyle Bowler. Um, and he's, he's like, Kyle, you've shared Jesus with me a lot of times. And here I am with this pastor in Encinitas and he's, he's out here sharing Jesus with me. So he passes his phone off to me and I start talking with him. And I'm talking with Kyle, and we're just both kind of like going, this is crazy, man. You know, like, I just want to share Jesus with this guy, and he's been sharing Jesus with this guy. But here's what God reminded me when I walked out that night. That I got to let God interrupt my moments. I got to let God interrupt some of the places I go, thinking I'm going there solely just to eat dinner or to hang out with friends. Sometimes Jesus has something more special lined up that I can't even see. And that night, it was for that man. And I loved every single minute of it. When I walked out, I just said, God, I was so convicted I said, God, do not let me be too busy anymore. Don't let me be too busy to miss people. Don't let me be too busy to miss having the opportunity to share your word with someone out there. I always want to make sure that I love people the way Jesus does. So here's what I wrote here too. Some of you guys are going to be out surfing. You're going to be waiting for that perfect wave. And before you know it, you're going to be witnessing to another person in the water. You guys are going to be going to different beaches. You might end up next to a family and you start talking and in the midst of it, they found out you're Christians and your day might be interrupted and you're going to be sharing faith with this family. For some of you, the coffee shops that you are going to every single day, you're going to get to know those baristas. And God is going to open up doors for you to share the gospel with so many people in this community and it's going to be a beautiful thing. And Matt and I were talking, Pastor Matt, um, and we're, the one thing we said was, our city is not without reach. There's no reason that revival cannot happen in the city of Encinitas. It's crazy that we sometimes think of it as a spiritual place, but God wants to use me. He wants to use you to go make a deep impact in this city. And if you don't know where to start, here's what I want to encourage you with. A lot of times people are going, I'm not sure how to do it. I'm not sure, like, really even where to start. And here's something our staff, we talked over and over again, uh, like, what, like what, what's one of the best ways to share the gospel? And if you have notes, you want to, I want you to write this down. It says this, listen more, talk less. Listen more, talk less. Oh, I struggle with that. I love to talk, and I love to meet people, and I love to go do things. But one thing I want to do in our city is when I'm out like, with people in those coffee shops that I'm always going to, I want to get to know people. I want to get to know their story. I want to get to know their heart. In the process of that, I hope they're going to ask, ask some questions back. In the process, I get to weave the gospel in there. But more than anything, I want to learn to slow down. Just talk less and listen a lot more. And there's this, there's this picture that I want to paint for you guys. It's called Commander's Intent. I know Pastor Matt shared this about a couple years ago. Um, I think he shared it here at Seacoast. It was super funny. When we first talked about Commander's Intent, I thought it was three words. Commander's Intent. I was super wrong. Like, I, li I literally thought that they were, like, in a tent making plans. 
It's, com- it's two words, commander's intent is what it is. But it's this concept that the army adapted in the 1980s. And they said, man, when you go into battle, what often happens is you can make all these strategic battle plans. But here's what you've got to realize. The enemy gets a vote too. What happens if the weather changes? What happens if a key asset is destroyed? At that point, it's just relying on instinct. You're just going. So they said, we adapted this little concept uh, called commander's intent, which is what if we just said our goal is to take the hill? That's the end goal. And by any means necessary, we're going to take the hill. Because we can't map out this little chess game of how we're going to do it because so often in battle, those plans go out the window. And so he said, we developed this thing called commander's intent, which our intent would be to take the hill. And why, why I'm even sharing that with you is this, is because I want us to really focus on what it looks like to keep our one mission focused here at Encinitas, and it's the broken and the hurting people out in our own community that really need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's what Seacoast is all about. We are all about helping people discover life in Christ. If we really believe that, if we believe that as a church, then that is going to change who we are, and we are going to go out of these doors, and we are going to help people discover life in Christ. And when I was 20 years old, this became super real to me. I was in Colorado doing missions, and this church that we were partnering with, I looked at the exit signs, and above every exit sign, it said, you're now entering a mission field. And I asked the senior pastor, I was like, why do you guys put those signs up? Like, above all your exit signs, he's like, because we want the members in our church to know when they exit this building that they are entering a mission field. That this is just a building. And we're the people. And as the people, we want to take what we're learning in here into our community out there. And we want to make sure people discover life in Christ. I want to finish up by just hitting on the last bit here. So just open back up to 1 Corinthians 9 because if we're going to win people over to Jesus, if we want to help save people to the gospel, then we got to make sure that we're also disciplined. we got to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves spiritually, that we are on fire for Jesus, that every single day we're waking up asking Jesus to change and transform us more into his likeness. Here's what it says. Do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And I love what he's doing here. He's speaking in this really cool metaphor because the Corinthians were very familiar with the Greek games. So he knew that when the Greek games hit, they were going to be under like strict control with their bodies. If they were going to compete, they were going to have to be on these strict diets and they were going to have to train insanely hard. And I want you to just think about some of the greatest athletes that you know of your time. In order to be the best, they had to train incredibly hard. They had to wake up every morning and give it everything they had. If they were were training really hard, they were going to be on a strict diet. While all their friends were hanging out and going out, going out late at night, they were the ones going to bed early so they could refuel and refresh and get up and do it all over again. And as believers in Christ, we don't run this race in order to get into heaven. We get into heaven by believing in Jesus Christ and surrendering our lives to him. Paul loved to preach the gospel. He loved to win others over, and his aim was to win as many as possible. He truly lived his life on mission. But he also made it a priority to take care of himself. He made it a priority to take care of himself spiritually. And I I want you guys to know this. You are going to have to wake up every single morning when your feet hit the floor and you're going to have to say, Jesus, help me eradicate sin from my life. Help me to hate what you hate. And God, help me to fall more in love with you. God, give me a deeper passion for your word. Give me a deeper passion for prayer. 
God, just make me more like you. Make my character more like you. All I want every morning, every day, as I live, is to be, to be made more into the image, into the likeness of Christ. And back in those Greek games, they were competing for that olive wreath crown. And it says in here, that's a crown that would perish. Only one person could get it. That's what they're competing for. But us, we're competing for something different. We're competing for this imperishable crown. That one day, we get to look at God in the face. I'm serious when I say this. And he just said, you did it. You lived your life on mission. You did it. You loved me enough to go share my name out there. You cared about the city you lived in. You cared about the neighborhoods that you lived in. You cared about the sports teams that you're a part of. You did it. And I am so proud of you. And man, what a, what a, like, what a day that will be when I can look at God with this smile on his face, just saying, you did it. You lived your life on mission. Well done. So how about you? Where are you at? Are you living your life on mission? Is your life transformed? And if it is, then we are going to want to bring people into this awesome adventure of Jesus with us, which means we are going to want to win as many people over the gospel as we can so that we can save them from eternal separation from God. And I want to start, or I want to end with where I started. And it's that same thing that I read to you guys, because if this is you, if this is you showing up to church every single Sunday, feeling a little empty, or just walking out of here, not making a difference, I want you to be convicted just one last time going, I commit right here and now to living my life on mission. I'm going to read just the last part of it. We know we are God's ambassadors, his priests, and we understand that the church is supposed to be his missionaries in the world, but we just keep showing up to nebulous worship gatherings, empty Bible studies, or pathetic small groups. Isn't there more? I thought we were supposed to be new creations. What happened? Having spent years pastoring people who are asking these same questions and feeling the same ineffectiveness of applying the more spiritual disciplines, I began to wonder how the apostles Paul and Peter and the other disciples managed to live such transformed lives. Lives that were not only personally transformed, but also changed the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm in favor of and have found great benefit in many of the more traditional forms of spiritual discipline, time in the word each day, prayer, keeping a journal, prayer walking, and much more. But those disciplines can easily leave you staring at your Harley instead of actually riding it. Starting with Jesus and his early disciples, people who have changed the world found a beautiful connection between spiritual disciplines and the vibrant life of God's spirit-led mission. They understood the gospel. So Seacoast Community Church, let's walk out of here today understanding this is just a building and that God wants to use you. He wants to use me to go make a difference in our community. That he wants us to care about the people that are out there that don't know him. That we have this end goal is to win as many people as we can to the gospel so that they might be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We are grateful for this series, God. We are grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on that cross to set us free. And God, I pray this morning that we can walk out of here different. God, we can walk out of here changed. We can walk out of here challenged knowing that there are so many people in Encinitas who are perishing. God, that don't know you. God, and I pray that we as a church care about that. That we can walk out of here and live our lives on mission, God. God, change us, transform us, help us every day when we wake up to ask you those words. God, let me be more like you. God, we love you. This is your church. We ask you to advance it. And we ask to be used by you. Your name I pray. Amen.